Hello, we are Angela Benjamin and David J. Lilly, and we are both jewellery designer makers who spend every day surrounded by shiny things. We are both passionate about jewellery and love learning all we can about jewellery making and sharing what we've learned with you. Perhaps you're a jewellery lover or creative type or spend your days at the bench like we do. Whichever it is, we hope you'll enjoy our sparkling chit-chat, our silly stories and our thoughts on living a creative and slightly dusty life. With a few laughs along the way. You can find our podcasts on all your favourite apps, including, of course, the biggies, Apple, Spotify and Chrome Podcasts. So if you want to know who we are and share our passion for all that glitters, then stay with us for the next 30-ish minutes. This is Ange and David with Little Gems on Jewellery and Life. So good morning or good evening or good afternoon, everybody, wherever you are in the world. I know 14 different countries listen in to us now, which I think is amazing. And we seem to hit the number one spot very often in Hungary. So quite why we're big in Hungary, I have no idea, but I'm going to go with it. And as a lot of you will now know, I am joined by a new co-host on the podcast, as Emma has decided she really doesn't have the time to do this anymore. She's a shame, but that's life. And it's the most amazing young lady who I've known for a few years now. It's Ange Benjamin. Good morning. Hello, rather, Ange. Hello, David. Thank you so much for welcoming me today. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm so pleased that you accepted this arduous role of talking with me for about half an hour every couple of weeks. Luckily for you, I like talking to you anyway, David. But um, I like very lucky. (laughs) (laughs) So, what I thought might be really lovely for the listeners is to find out more about you as a jeweler and you know what inspired you your jewelry journey in that when Emma and I started the podcast this is what we did just to give some kind of background to the listeners as to who they were listening to so over to you I will probably interrupt you if I want to know a bit more and you can either say okay this is it or you can say no I'm moving on swiftly (laughs) so Ange Benjamin of Ange B Designs who are you and how did you get into making jewelry Jewelry, I wouldn't say was my first love in terms of making, but I've always loved making. Um, I come from a family of seamstresses, architects, graphic designers, and always had a yearning to be a maker myself. So the first thing I probably made was a little cloth handbag when my mum let me near her sewing machine, and then I did some knitting with my gran. But I used to paint. Um, Before I became a physiotherapist, I actually thought I would end up doing something like graphic design or architecture, something more creative. But coming from a stereotypical immigrant family background where the sort of science careers are pushed, I decided to go the medical route and became a physiotherapist and didn't fall into jewellery making until about 10 years ago. Um, Came to a... Wow. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so it's been a while, but it took yeah, it took me a while to get there, but I have been on this journey for a while. So I decided to take a sabbatical from physio and first of all embarked on a BTEC at my local college doing um, a diploma in art and design. And then mm-hmm. from there, 
got onto a foundation in art and design at Chelsea School of Art. Again, the aim was to study architecture. And I absolutely loved the foundation, just being able to explore different forms of art, different materials. And it was off the back of that that I fell in love with 3D making, but on a smaller scale. And long story short, not being able to follow the architecture route, I fell into making jewellery via an adult education class. Excellent. And I can so see architecture in the work that you make. It has such an architectural form to a lot of it. And obviously we've discussed over the, over the time we know another how you have a fantastic love of angles, whether it be in the jewellery you make or the gems that you use in them as well. Oh, yes. You, you definitely know about my love of angles and geometric shapes, David. You very kindly gifted me some gorgeous stones. And whenever I see you showing your work or if it's got some lovely, particularly asymmetrical geometric stones, you know I'm going to mm-hmm. be on there commenting and sort of gushing over it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know what we haven't done together? I know we spent time together playing around making jewellery and stuff and as well as obviously chit-chatting. I have never let you loose on the lapidary equipment to do actually do some gem cutting, have I? No, you haven't, will you? Yeah, of course I will. <laughs> you'll have to go you'll have to go down to the barn while I'm away in Canada and spend days down there just playing with it and seeing what you do. No, you're not letting me loose there. I'll sort of come away with one less finger or something. I'm so clumsy. <laughs> I think the worst you can do is give yourself an over manicure on it, and that's about it. Okay, okay. No, but I would love to do that. That is my dream, to be able to cut stones to the shapes that I like mm-hmm. because I look at jewellers that I admire, people like, is it Mark Newell? He has yep. some love geometric stones and yeah my goal one day is to be able to have a stone cut for me in the color that I want to the shape that I want and then sort of feature it in a piece but yes geometry and architecture are my go-to. Brilliant you said it was obviously small scale and that took you into jewelry so when you started doing jewelry was this like a little kind of hobby on the side or did you push yourself to go and get some kind of formal training in it as well? No, when I left Chelsea, said the sort of aim was to go and study architecture. Then from there, I quickly swerved looking at small scale making, partly because the architecture course was seven years and I was still working as a physio. And the thought of making this massive leap, both financially and in terms of career change, just seemed a step too far. So my tutors suggested a few jewellery courses, degrees, but again, that seemed like a difficult pathway at the time. So I found my local adult education college was doing silver jewellery making just once a week. And the first term, it was make your own silver ring. And I was so excited and fell in love with it, you know, after week one. Fantastic. So where did that lead you then on that course? You did your silver ring. What else came out of that? Lots of silver rings. (laughs) I I love putting things on my fingers. I've always been told that I've got really big hands. This is something I was teased about at school, actually. And I think that's partly why I love rings, because they're a way of disguising your hands or dressing them up but also again I think partly as my job as a physio I'm always doing things with my hands so hands and ways in which you can you know make them look different which is why I also love making cuffs so 
long answer to your question. I started with rings, then quite quickly started making bracelets, but it was all sorts of things that I was making for myself and then also gifting them to friends. And quite quickly, I had such a massive collection of things that friends said, look, you can't just keep giving things away or sitting on them. Try doing some markets, try some craft fairs. And then finally, I decided to open an Etsy shop. And that's when I actually started selling my work. And this was Great. in 2016. Just picking up on that, when you did kind of craft fairs and things like that, I know, I mean, I've tried those and found them, for me anyway, a waste of time. A lot of people find it difficult to find a way to actually market their work once they actually get round to making it. So would you say craft fairs are, are, are a good idea for people to try? Or do you think actually it really depends on where you sit in the market, for, you know, when it comes to how much you're charging? I think there are definitely lots of considerations. I mean, my first one was literally um, a local church fair and there were pros and cons. The pros for me were meeting people and getting feedback on my work. Lots of lovely feedback. Um, the cons were definitely the wrong audience. I said it was a church fair. I was next to someone who was selling knitted teddies. No offence to knitted teddies, but... <laughs> Even though I wasn't charging masses for my jewellery, it just wasn't the right market. People weren't coming to buy my sort of jewellery. Um, mm. But lovely to get that feedback and to have that penny drop moment that, ah, oh, actually, I need to be in the right place. And that actually happened a couple of times before I decided that, you know what, I don't think craft fairs as such are my thing. So to be honest, I haven't done what I'd call a typical craft or art market for maybe three to five years, if that. And it's partly because I felt that I hadn't had the right sort of audience. That's not to say I'll never do them. And my hope for 2023 is actually to try and get out and about because I love being around people and showing them my work and seeing people try stuff on. I get a real buzz from that. So, yeah, I totally understand that. Uh, that's the lovely bit about being actually with people and, you know, showing them what you've made and seeing them getting excited about something that you were excited about when you started, you know, putting it together. Yeah. And it's also, you know, you yourself know as a maker, we make things with our own aesthetic in mind and maybe our own, you know, how it should be worn, how it should be, how it should fit. But there's nothing more satisfying for me than seeing a piece on someone else and either seeing that it works, which is great, but sometimes seeing, oh, actually, that necklace should be longer or, you know, it shouldn't be as big or, you know, that cuff needs to fit a little bit better. So feedback from the public is definitely something that isn't to be underestimated, but I think it's important to find the right place that you feel comfortable with both from a price point and also from you know having the right audience and I think that's a very difficult thing to actually do and I suppose Etsy opens up those possibilities in ways that you know when you're standing behind a counter in a show you know there are only the people that come to you where with Etsy you don't know who's going to find you um, and it's hard work admittedly making Etsy work but you've clearly done it yeah, it's been a, a sort of ongoing kind of battle, really. Etsy, I'm sure you know yourself, David, it's a market that's growing. Jewellery is one of the largest categories in Etsy, and it's, you know, international. So you're trying to stand out in a very big crowd. But going back to markets, actually, one of the benefits I found, as I said, from aside from people trying on your work, and you just said yourself, you never know who sees it. And one of my 
or my very first stockist was someone who'd come to a craft market, which I did at the Ritzy Cinema of all places in Brixton. And right. it was market that I did for a few years in a row only because it was a really lovely crowd and I did sell quite well there and one of the buyers for one of the concessions in the Oxo Tower happened to be shopping and then off the back of seeing my work I managed to get my stuff in the shop for a few years so that was a really good connection so never underestimate the power of being out in a marketplace but yes I think Etsy is a good place to start as any maker because a lot of the hard work's taken out of your hands. Aside from the fact that you have to, you know, design your logo, set out your shop front, so to speak, and your pricing, a lot of the stress with regards to posting, insurance cover, dialogue with sellers is all covered for you, or dialogue with buyers, rather, is all covered for you. I know also you have work that is in galleries all around the country now as well, don't you? Um, yes, no galleries as yet, but I do have some other stockists. Um, I'm very lucky in that, again, through the connections I've made, some of them randomly on Instagram, some of them just through word of mouth. I have a lovely stockist in Leeds, Tasha, who has a small independent sort of craft maker shop. And then I also have items in Prior Shop, which is in Bristol. And also one other stockist in East London, in Leytonstone. Okay, so you just, just, that's nicely covered around the country then, isn't it? Yeah. You need one, in, one in Wales, one in Scotland, one in Northern Ireland, and you're sorted then, aren't you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Any connections you have, David, just check them out there, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we've, you know we've discussed what we each want to bring to this podcast, mm-hmm. and... We were talking about the fact, obviously, that Emma and I did quite a lot of interviewing, especially the people from all the glitters who we worked with, and then I interviewed Sunny as well. And this is something that you felt would be really interesting to do, is to obviously interview people who inspire you. So I wondered, you know, if you wanted just to kind of divulge who some of these people might be that you'd like to kind of bring to the podcast and and interview. Well, like yourself, David, I don't just make jewellery. You know, you do your lovely stained glass work. You also teach workshops. And I'm the same. I teach workshops, but I also like making, um, I call them objects. I sometimes make spoons. I want to develop and start making vessels. Um, So I'm always keen to chat to other makers, whatever their discipline. So... Mm. The people that have sprung to mind, a gentleman who I've recently found on Instagram, and I just find his work beautiful, is a guy called Yusuf, and he is a leather maker and makes the most gorgeous leather handbags, but he also teaches leather making workshops, and he does great reels. And he also does very interesting lives where he's quite honest about his journey as a maker and the different challenges that he faces. Also, like you and I, he comes from a completely different background. I think he's originally trained as a lawyer. So I I love chatting to people who've come to their craft 
from a different journey. So he's um, on my list. Another person who is more jewellery inclined, but again, very different to you and I, is Lou Clark of Lou Clark Studios. And I've chatted to Lou online for many years, and I think we actually met at one of the few markets that I did, and we had stalls next to each other. She makes the most gorgeous acrylic jewellery, which you have to see it to believe it. She makes beautiful figures, brooches, earrings, wedding tiaras, but all from acrylics. And I would love to just chat to her about how she got started and how she works. So those are sort of two on my list, but I have quite a few. <laughs> I'm sure. And they sound fascinating. I used to know a chap in Brighton years ago who made acrylic jewellery as well. And he used to have a shop in the lanes back in, I think, the 1980s, um, before I knew him. And acrylic jewellery is just amazing. There are some incredible acrylic jewellery makers out there. Well, there's incredible jewellery makers in all sorts of different mediums, yeah. that's for sure. What about Ange B Designs then? We haven't actually talked about your, your own business that obviously is, you know, what you've created. Tell us about Ange B Designs. Well, Ange B Designs said, sort of started really off the back of my Etsy shop. And that started quite well in that I was busy making lots of things. And then I found that actually I wanted more ownership of the things I make in that Etsy, obviously, as you know, or any selling platform, take a percentage of what what we make. So Mm. I wanted to push myself a little bit and decided to build my own website, foolishly thinking it was something that I could do in, you know, five minutes um, as these... um, website you can and so several weeks after <laughs> deciding to this website, I had what I thought was my own reasonably good looking front of shop so that was about two years ago so from there I've been putting more of my efforts actually into my own website working on things like SEO as well as working on the jewellery maker because I'm sure you yourself David will acknowledge that any maker it's not just what we put out to the customers it's how we put it out and how they find us um, Mm. that makes it a viable business and you know we both love what we do but there is you know at the end of the day is something that we want to try and earn money from so learning aspects of the business have has been one of my biggest challenges over the past couple of years and it's it's ongoing but you know I'm really enjoying it off the back of that in September I was actually awarded a scholarship fantastic college thank you um, Morley College and the De Beers group had a number of scholarships that they were awarding to students for this academic year. So I'm currently working on several different courses that will hopefully strengthen not only my design skills, my making skills, but also hopefully improve my business acumen as well. Fingers crossed. So if you were to come up with three tips for people on when creating their own website for you know being a juror uh, you know it might be a do or a don't what what would be your top three takeaways of do's or don'ts when you're creating your website oh i would say definitely do etsy is great to have as a start point 
and there are lots of avenues that you can use to help support you and your Etsy shop. But I think if you want to have a bit more autonomy over your business and also over your audience, definitely have a work, uh, your own website. Another do would be definitely get an understanding of SEO. And I've been really fortunate in meeting a fantastic SEO and website visibility specialist who over the past couple of years has really helped me understand what SEO means, how I should be using it to improve my business. And off the back of that, I think my website has gained a lot more traction than it would have otherwise. Great. Um, and another thing I would say is don't be afraid of making mistakes with it because I'm always changing things. It's a massive learning curve. But I think if you're willing to take the time and spend the time to do it, it's well worth it. Fair. Thank you. So tell us a bit more about this, this De Beers scholarship then from, uh, from Morley College. Yeah, sure. So the scholarship was part of an initiative that De Beers were offering um, in conjunction with Morley for jewellers in at different stages in their career. So either complete beginners. I mean, I fell into the sort of in intermediate stage and particularly with um, jewellers from a black and ethnic minority background. Right. Um, so over the summer, I had to put together a body of work. I had to put together three personal statements on different aspects of my work and where I wanted to take it. And I also had to have an interview with a very established jeweller in the industry and also um, the head of jewellery at Morley College. Cool. That was a bit daunting, wasn't it? Very daunting. I haven't had a, an interview of any sort for years. So even though it was a fantastic summer, it was quite a lot of stress trying to you know, plan my personal statement, making sure it was going to be eye-catching, interesting, taking photographs of my works. Unfortunately, because of the way things were set up, my interview had to take place via Zoom. So I had to send them images of my work and over Zoom, holding up images of my work, as well as having a <laughs> interview with two people in two different locations. So quite stressful. But yeah, mm -hmm. well, I'm, you know, I'm so excited and really feel really honoured to um, have this opportunity. So at the moment, I'm working my way through the courses that I've chosen as part of the scholarship. So the idea is that I select courses based at Morley that I think will help to either improve my techniques as a maker, broaden my scope of thinking in terms of design, help my design skills. And then I, at some stage, will also have a business mentor who will help me you know, look over the aspects of my business that I have concerns with, whether that's PR, marketing, promotion, you name it. Fantastic. That's a nice kind of all-round selection I think you've put together because you, you've looked at obviously where you felt there were holes in your yeah. knowledge base. And it's, it's great that you can put that all together as a package because I should think that's quite rare to find one place where you can go and get everything that you need. And it's a place that you already feel you've benefited from in the past. So fab. I think that's lovely. Yeah. So on the back of that then, so what Emma and I kind of used to do was talk about obviously what we are up to at the moment. And I haven't asked you yet what you're up to at the moment. We've <laughs> talked about other than where you've come from and we know you're doing this learning now at Morley. But other than that, 
where what's what's happening jewelry wise for you obviously we're running up to christmas this is coming out this episode is coming out mid-december so it's a bit late probably for people to be getting in touch with you saying oh can i have a bespoke something but definitely unfortunately no more bespokes coming out um i think as we spoke briefly before we went live david i was saying that i'm just actually recovering from my first bout of covid I did actually think I was invincible and would never actually get it. So I was quite disappointed, which meant that I was confined to home for nearly a week. The flip side of that was I was able to get into my studio and just work solidly on the the last commissions that I've got for the year, which has been fantastic. So I'm finishing off a couple of pieces, which hopefully I'll be able to post on my Insta once the client has okayed them and is happy with them. As well as that, I've been playing around with some new earring designs mm. and kind of broadening some of my the existing collections and just making them a little bit more impactful. As you know, my business is all around sustainability. So it's not about making pieces that people want to, you know, just wear for one season and get rid of. I want to make sure that my designs are pieces that people will go back to year after year and want to keep wearing. Yeah. So- yeah, expanding that. Um, as part of my Morley scholarship, I've actually been doing some lovely stone setting classes. Uh, which I've seen. On my Instagram, yes, sneakily in class. I've got a, a lovely but quite strict teacher who, you know, everyone's working in silence, but I've been learning claw settings. I've been learning how to set using a graver. So lots mm-hmm. of tools and it's great because it's so different to the way that I work currently which as you know David is quite large scale in terms of settings I, I tend to only use bezel settings but now I feel like I've got a bit more of a an arsenal behind me so watch this space in terms of nice stones that I'll be cutting in David's barn and then setting <laughs> brilliant Snuck that in. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. Yes, indeed. Okay, so moving swiftly on, because I know time is kind of catching up with us as usual on this thing. Who on Instagram is really exciting you at the moment? What feed do you really get enjoyment from, whether it's because of their technical excellence or just the stuff that they make? Okay, two jewellers who I absolutely love because their work is so different to mine, but I just, their precision just makes me gasp every time. Amanda Lee Hope, who is a London-based jeweller, and I think she works out of cockpit art, not 100% sure, but she is a very traditional jewellery maker, so she will melt her um, silver and gold down, roll it out, do all of that stuff, design. And she recently, her recent post was the most beautiful Art Deco engagement ring with a gorgeous green um, emerald and some diamond, baguette diamonds. And Mm. she outlined the process and it's just mind blowing. You know, it's like a jigsaw and seeing her put it together was beautiful. Right. jeweler who works on a similar vein but it's actually based in Cologne in Germany Cassandra Kudoke or Kudoke K-U-D-O-K-E and again um, Cassandra 
is predominantly a ring maker, beautiful engagement rings. And I just love the precision of her work and the beauty of her work. And she takes amazing photographs as well of her jewellery. Okay, so we better check, or I better check them out. And obviously the listeners can if they want to as well. And we'll put the details of their Instagram feeds in the show notes. So my one this week is... A chap who's also based in London, and his Instagram feed is Young Silver London, all one word. And what I love about him is not just the work that he makes, but it's the videos that he makes about making his work. The little, you know, Instagram reels. Well, they're not little; they're incredibly sophisticated. I think he probably spends more time putting his reels together than, than he actually makes the piece of jewelry. But it's brilliant. They are so amusing. I really enjoy anything that he puts together. And it's not just about the jewellery. So it's actually about the way that he manages to market himself through his reels. He's just got the right temperament and the right kind of frivolity in it. So I would suggest go check out Young Silver London cool. if you don't know him already and see what he does because I love it. All yeah. very clever. followed. We are running out of time. Is there anything that you would like to just say to the listeners as obviously new co-host that we haven't discussed already? I would just like to first of all thank you, David, for inviting me to co-host with you. Um, as you know, I'm not a natural talker on camera but I like the fact that you threw this challenge at me and I feel very proud of myself for picking it up and let's see how far we can go with this <laughs> fantastic because you are a natural talker let's face it when we get together we yak for hours let's not in front of the mic <laughs> <laughs> well you've done it very naturally this t- today whether you think you have or not <laughs> so... you've made it very easy for me thank you Ah, absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So we are going to be getting together every fortnight. So these podcasts are going back to every fortnight. And Ange will do some interviewing with other people. I will do some interviewing with other people. But we will be getting together, just the two of us as well, to have a chin wag, to tell you what we're up to, what's exciting us, what we are going to be doing. And obviously Christmas is coming up soon. I am going to be interviewing Lee Appleby, who was in Series 1 of all the glitters soon and so there will be a podcast with him and me and Ange will be letting us know in the subsequent episodes who she's going to be interviewing she's already intimated a couple of people that are really exciting her so we will see you or you will you'll listen to us rather we can't see you you can't see us but you know who we are and if you're not if you're not sure who Angie is go and check her out on Instagram and go and check her out on her website and if you want to see what she looks like she is always wearing some fab clothes in a long full-length mirror (laughs) at least once a week on instagram so you can find her there all right and i will see you soon take care bye-bye bye thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed the episode and come back to us another couple of weeks for the next part in the meantime also thanks to alfie amadeus for the amazing track of topi which is our theme music see you soon bye-bye